Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. I've had an online shopping disaster, which I need to tell you about. You haven't uh, ordered something in the wrong size again and got a gargantuan <laughs> tub of cat food for that cat. Well, it's almost as bad. It's, it's along similar lines. I was being very efficient. I was ordering my collagen capsules because, you know, obviously we're all obsessed with collagen. And yes, I do true. think they're making a difference. Okay. Ordered my collagen capsules, thought I'll order two jars, you know, loads of the stuff. Being very efficient. <laughs> anyway, a week later, opened it up. It wasn't capsules, it was powder. And you have to take it in water. And guess what it tastes like? Um, Well, I mean, there's all manner of tastes you don't like, so that's quite a big thing to guess from. (laughs) Fish paste. Fish paste. Oh, Oh. dear. Not like those fish paste you used to get in your crab fish paste in your sandwiches for school. Fish paste sandwiches. That is what it tastes like. And I bought two jars of the stuff. I've opened them, so obviously I can't send it back. (laughs) Well, this is good for your highly sensitive person treatment, yes. isn't it? You're going to have to get over yes. it, aren't you? I'm going to get over it. I suck am. up the fish paste. I just have to hold my nose and chuck it down and then brush my teeth very quickly. It's the only way. Okay. Anyway, my cheeks are looking nice and plump. So yes. Good. <laughs> Hello. Hello. Welcome to Postcards from Midlife. I'm Lorraine Candy. I'm Trish Halpin, and we're on a mission to help you make the most of your magnificent midlife. We'll be tackling everything from mind and body wellness to HRT and your sex drive. Lorraine and I are here to help you have a stylish second act and answer all your midlife questions on fashion, beauty, careers, relationships, family, and as always, the challenges and joys of parenting teams. Good morning, my favourite colleague. Oh, got a little bit of a cold, so excuse my voice. Well, you're actually my only colleague, aren't you, Trish? <laughs> you don't count the dog working from home downstairs. Yes. I've got two pieces of news, Candy, oh. today to kick off the show. This is a live work update, if you will, a kind of water cooler chat. Yes, we need our water cooler chats, don't we? Because we get yes. a bit lonely in our in our houses all around. But I do, I'm very keen, as always, to hear yep. what you've been up to. Okay. Wow me. Well, I've signed up for a mad six-kilometre swim called the Bantham Swoosh in Devon in in July now I only tell you this because from now on I'm most likely going to have goggle marks (laughs) when we're on zoom because I've got to do some outdoor extra outdoor swimming and the swoosh bit Trish Mm. you're like this is the tide because it takes you out at the end it's an estuary swim and you get swept out so I might get swept away because you are no good at geography am I I never know where I am Trish and I can't do anything oh no I'm gonna have to have the the life the coast guard on standby (laughs) ready to go and rescue you yes (laughs) my second bit of news is i have launched the candy club Mm -hmm. brace yourself not sweets no not a sweet related endeavor this is a book club come parenting advice portal Mm -hmm. and it's on the newsletter platform substack it's going to be advice crossed with opinions um i've got a lot of opinions trish haven't i (laughs) 
Yeah. I think we all know that by now. We definitely do. That's good though. But people might not be aware of what Substack is. It's quite. It's 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 kind of very hot now these days. It's hot it? right now, like mm. me. Hot right now. Yes. Yeah. Just just Google Substack. It will take you onto the platform, and then you can type in the Candy Club, and I'll come up. But there's loads and loads of newsletters, full of advice, great writing. It's huge in the states, and it's just launched here. So obviously, I like to get in at the beginning. You do. You Trish. do. Another platform to shout Another about your lovely self well it keeps me off your whatsapp doesn't it <laughs> yeah. you no i need pressure. you on my whatsapp you're my work colleague my only work colleague <laughs> don't, don't forget um, that also you're a founding member of the candy club because you've yeah. been in it for 25 years yeah. now tell me what you've been up to because oh. i noticed a little picture of you out and about in a rather smart mm. pussy blow blouse which is yes one of your favorites on well Instagram you know if i get the pussy bows out something serious, serious is going yeah. down <laughs> No, actually, I was I was lovely. I was at a networking event. I got asked to speak at um, a Women of the Future, which is this amazing uh, networking and awards organisation. And they Fabulous. asked me to do a little lunchtime talk for um, about 50 of their members in the city. And it was, oh, my God, it was so nice to be in a room full of brilliant, fabulous women because we haven't had a lot of that. I mean, we used to do that all the time, right? Now yeah. we haven't. And I just felt that the energy, the, the kind of the brain power, but also the kind of warmth was just it was really really nice it gave me a little buzz I have to say my you little got ego. recognized as well didn't you oh, I did I got spotted actually weirdly um across the road in the park I'd just been doing my walk active with Bridie the Labrador and I had my hat me in my baseball yes. hat on and my like sweaty gym gear <laughs> just like Madonna yeah. and um and this lovely lady stopped me with her beagle and said how much she loved Aww. the podcast and I was like oh can't believe you recognize me and uh, yes yeah, she was very very nice so keep up the good work Catherine, her name like was. Thank her. you, Catherine. It's, hello, Catherine. Thank mm. you for. Um, I hope she spots me when I'm making out. my day. Well, I do like connecting with the listeners. I've been on our private Facebook group this week, as you know, because I had a bit of a wobble last you week did. at home on my own. I was really missing working in an office, not managing a team. I wasn't missing that. And I realised I left my job two years ago, so I haven't really worked with a team for a while. So I dipped into our Facebook group chat for a little cheer me up. There's just so much support in that mm-hmm. group. It was so uplifting. There was a post from one of our listeners, which I think I'm going to read out because I think it will resonate with a lot of women listening now. It's just so lovely. And the response to it was so lovely. I've shortened it a little bit for privacy reasons. So this is from Lisa. And she wrote, my second marriage ended recently after 18 years. I'm able to take over the mortgage, but I'll be budgeting again like I did when I was younger. I'll be living alone with my 15 year old. I've always enjoyed my own company and I am looking forward to being the only adult here in the house. But then crushing waves of anxiety hit me about whether I can manage all of this alone at 54. I've been through the house decluttering and I've bought a torch because obviously I need a torch. It's the game changer. (laughs) You see how her mind is working there. But I would really appreciate some words of encouragement here on Facebook. And it was so lovely because within about an hour, there were about 40 messages of support Mm -hmm. um, after her post. And it was nice because it's good to see a woman asking for help Mm -hmm. and realising she needs help because often we don't at this stage of life. And all the little messages underneath were stories of other women who'd gone through a similar thing really useful advice also many of them Trish had bought a torch yes divorce because apparently that is a that's a very useful thing a torch as long as you can remember where you put it I love a torch but yeah no you're right it's just wonderful hearing so many women and reading so many women supporting each other and it's just so non-judgmental it's just really um it's just lovely and 
as usual, we have a lovely, wonderful, interesting guest today, another yes. fabulous woman um, who's actually an expert on female behaviour, but female behaviour of the animal kind, because she's zoologist Lucy Cook, who is here to talk about her new book, which is rather brilliantly called Bitch, A Revolutionary Guide to Sex Evolution and the Female Animal. And it's really going to blow your minds. If anybody hasn't read it yet, it's going yeah. to blow your minds, listeners. I'm a bit giddy about this interview. I'm really looking forward mm-hmm. to it. You're going to need to forget everything scientists have told you about maternal instinct and why males are allegedly the dominating force in nature um she's an award-winning documentary maker and broadcaster and if you follow her on social media mm-hmm. i would say she's the gordon ramsay of zoology <laughs> not because of her cooking no there is a really <laughs> brilliant video of her coming across a deadly pit viper snake in costa yes. rica and the language when she oh, yes. it is pretty fruity the, I the effing and blinding Alan gordon <laughs> well yes. i'm really excited about meeting her and also hearing more about murderous female meerkats will you be asking her about that feline of yours you mean murderous cats not meerkats yes I think Margot I mean I don't know she she is I mean some of her behavior is inexplicable I think she might be an anomaly in scientific terms but we can ask we can ask Lucy she might have some words of wisdom Margot's even a cat to be honest Trish (laughs) Anyway, after... she's a creature from out of space. <laughs> yes, you? I do. Mm. Yes. Anyway, after Lucy's interview, we'll be discussing something practical that really did help me deal with my blip, my emotional mm. wobble last week, and our how to win at midlife section of the podcast. Yes, we're going to be talking about color therapy and why it can not only change your mood but also save you time and money when you go shopping for clothes. And um, we've both had our color charts done, haven't we? And mm. it's quite a surprise for each of us. I've never. Yes. Oh, you've been very giddy since having yours done. So um... it's been a week for me. I tell you, Trish. <laughs> <laughs> stay up um, emotional highs and lows so yes. stay tuned for the uh the high the candy crush color high of finding out something you didn't know about yourself anyway enough waffling um on with the show time to welcome lucy <laughs> This week's special guest is Lucy Cook, a zoologist, wildlife expert, award-winning TV producer, presenter and author whose latest book, Bitch, A Revolutionary Guide to Sex Evolution and the Female Animal, has, as one academic put it, blown two centuries of sexist myths right out of biology. It's a riveting read explaining the real behaviour of female animals, which she proves are not nearly as gentle, docile, monogamous or even maternal as we've always been taught, with fascinating examples such as post-copulation cannibalism in spiders, matricide in meerkats and promiscuous lionesses notching up to 100 sexual encounters in just one evening. Lucy, 52, has travelled to the furthest corners of the globe during her exciting career but was curtailed seven years ago when at the age of 45 she was diagnosed with breast cancer. It marked the end, she says, of her drinking, smoking and partying days and reshaped how she is living the second half of her life. fan of cold water swimming she is often to be found having a pre-dawn dip in the sea near her home in Hastings she is also founder of the Sloth Appreciation Society and the viral videos she's made of these languorous creatures has led to her being dubbed the Steven Spielberg of sloth filmmaking she's even written a book called Life in the Sloth Lane which mixes mindfulness tips with her photos of these mellow creatures taking it very easy indeed she joins us today to tell us about her life her passions and what we can learn from our female counterparts in the animal 
world. Welcome to Postcards from Midlife, Lucy. Thank you so much for having me. Now, congratulations on Bitch. Lorraine and I have both really enjoyed reading it and we learned so many fascinating and wondrous things. I mean, it was just remarkable. Our minds are boggling. But what were some of your favourite or most surprising discoveries when you were researching and writing this book? It was a real journey of discovery and, and I was I was delighted by so many things that I found out. I mean, I think that I always had a sense that, that female animals were a lot more competitive and dominant and leaders and interesting than they'd been portrayed. You know, that that's what I found at every turn. But I suppose some of the stories that were the most appealing to me were the ones where, although you have showy male dominance, you know, where there are males fighting each other, like say with chimpanzees, that those males are are leading the show, that they're in charge. Actually, it turns out that in so many social species, it's actually emerging that the females are the leaders and that, you know, females inhabit their own hierarchies. And and actually, although you have these sort of very showy dominance displays by the males, it doesn't really amount to that much. And actually, who dictates where the group goes and what they do is actually the alpha female. So I can't deny that that's been a particularly pleasing discovery. I think it has been very pleasing, actually. And also the other thing that you discovered is that a lot of this we didn't know because nobody bothered to study the female of the species in the same way. So I want to start with some big myth-busting and uh, I'm going to go right there. I'm going to go right to motherhood. We've been told, haven't we, for centuries that uh, women have a natural maternal instinct. I mean, even now women who don't have children are viewed as an anomaly. That's not true, is it? It isn't true, actually. And this was a particularly... I knew it. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So so everybody out there who feels that they're not maybe the best mother in the world or they're not as good as they should be, don't worry. It doesn't matter. You know, that that is actually natural. This is something that was particularly personal to me because I come from a long line of not very maternal women and, and I decided not to perpetuate that line. Never interested in having children myself. And I did sort of feel like a bit of a freak. Newborn babies. I'm like, I don't want to hold that. It looks like its head's going to wobble off. You know, I'm really not <laughs> interested. And had a certain amount of inner turmoil about that is becoming much more accessible that, that, you, that women are yeah, choosing. But the science is parenting is what we learn but being a mum is not naturally there is it for females no. of the species? Exactly. So so Darwin, amongst many others, you know, imbued females with this sort of mythical maternal instinct that enables you to intuit your, your offspring's every needs. And, and actually what science is emerging from the animal kingdom, there's a switch for parenting in the brain, right, which is incredible. And it's been found in frogs and mice. And so the, right. the idea is, is that it's very likely that it'll be in humans as well. That switch has to be triggered. I mean, they don't know what the trigger is yet, but but once it's triggered, then it encourages nurturing behaviour. And that trigger is identical in males and females. So I think that's really fascinating and I'm sure will be great news for lots of males out there who feel like they really are good at nurturing alongside their female partners. But then also the other thing, of course, is if you're a female mammal, you know, the oxytocin is a separate system that runs alongside this neuronal architecture for nurturing. And obviously that sort of soups up the female response is the reason why you get sort of these sort of incredibly fierce and protective mothers. A lot of that is it comes comes from oxytocin. Right. But 
again, oxytocin has to be triggered. And, and what's really fascinating is when you look at baboons, say, for example, there's been a lot of studies on baboons. First time mums really struggle. I think something really extraordinary, like 60% of first time mums struggle with their firstborn and often it dies, you know, because the learning curve is incredibly steep, whether you're a human or a baboon. Baboons struggle with breastfeeding also. You know, if you're a baboon, social class turns out to be really, really important, which I also thought was fascinating. The low strata baboon mums are more likely to suffer from post-traumatic stress disorder, which I didn't even know that Mm. baboons could suffer from, you know. So it's not just us. That's the thing. It really, you know, we we have to tell women, you know, on this group so much. It's It's not just you. And then we really know it's not just you from talking to it's not just our species it's baboons as well but um that's quite fascinating there are lots more misconceptions aren't there can we blame darwin i get quite angry about this trisha's a bit calmer about it i'm quite cross because apparently he wrote a list of personalities his wife should have as well he did amazing discovered in amazing things his view of, of women was based on victorian women being quite compliant and not dominant that's where it started isn't it am i being a bit black and white about it <laughs> You are right. We should blame Darwin. You know, it is is Darwin whose theory of sexual selection defines the sexes, the differences between the sexes. And and because Darwin was a genius, the scientists that followed in his wake over a century suffered chronic case of confirmation bias. So if they they came across the licentious promiscuity of the female lioness, for example, who mates hundreds of times um, in a matter of days with multiple mates, they'd turn the other way and ignore it because it was an anomaly, right? You don't study that. But... To be fair to Darwin, you know, there was a huge social pressure for him to conform to Victorian norms, you know, and he'd already upset the church Caused massively trouble, by suggesting yes. evolution in the first place. He probably thought he'd had enough controversy for one lifetime. <laughs> Darwin is to blame, but I think really, I feel bad not qualifying it, basically. Mm. Sort of following on from that, the kind of the idea of sexual monogamy and the idea that males are wired for promiscuity and females are wired for, for monogamy. I mean, that is just... It's I mean, we've true. just heard about your frisky lioness, <laughs> but were there other examples that you found of that as well? Yeah, I mean, it's it's very widespread. I was taught it at university by Richard Dawkins himself, Mm. you know, this idea that because males produce lots of cheap mobile sperm and and females just have a few eggs that that are more energetically expensive to produce, we sort of somehow drew the short straw in the lottery of life. And males will always be compelled to spread their seed far and wide, and whereas we will be choosy and chaste. In some species, that is the case. But... Mm. (laughs) In the majority of species, it isn't the case. And, you know, females are just as sexually strategic as males. And that strategy, more often than not, involves mating with multiple males because basically you don't want to put all your eggs in one basket. You know, you're increasing the chances of a genetic, a good genetic fit if you mate with multiple males. We now understand there's sperm competition inside females. And so, and often it's actually, by the way, the idea of a, of a sperm race is completely untrue because often we, we found in humans, it's the egg that chooses in the end. So Ooh. for lots of reasons, mating multiply is, is the strategy for everything from songbirds to langur monkeys, you know, and it, it's widespread as a policy. Quite cross-making, isn't it, all of this? Does it, has it made you very cross, Lucy, when you were researching this book and putting it together? Were you just going to bed every night going, oh my God, 
<laughs> I did get very cross at times, yes. Because it affects our health. It, ref- it affects research into our health. It affects all science, really, doesn't it? This, this bias towards a dominant male of the species. Yeah, the thing that makes me particularly annoyed are lazy, famous male evolutionary <laughs> psychologists, whose names I won't mention, but I think we're probably all familiar <laughs> with their names, who just sort of propagate these myths. And then that's the problem with Darwin's theory of sexual selection is it was originated in Victorian misogyny, really. And then it was incubated by 150 years of science. And so these ideas get spat out. This sort of sexist stereotypes get spat out, rubber stamped by Darwin. But, you know, science has moved on. Women in the field are discovering new things and and redefining what it means to be female. And that's why I felt it was so urgent to write this book because, you know, we still like to look at the animal kingdom for guidance for how we should behave as humans that the fact of the matter is is that the female experience is incredibly diverse you know and we don't need to feel hemmed in by these stereotypes any longer tell us about the matriarchs then there's some great examples of matriarchs in the book aren't there yes there are numerous species where where females are it transpires the leaders my favorite has got to be the orcas the killer whales so they're basically souped up dolphins they're the biggest member of the cetacean souped up dolphins (laughs) yeah and uh, and they live in these family pods. I went out to Seattle to, to investigate these pods that have been studied for a very long time, for like what, 40 years. And reason why I felt compelled to go all the way to Seattle to meet them was because female orcas are one of the only species that we know mm. of where the females go through the menopause. Mm. So this is fascinating, right? Because generally natural selection takes a pretty dim view of a loss of fertility. And for most species, once you stop reproducing, you die, right? And And humans were thought to be some sort of anomaly these sort of menopausal freaks and it was like a load of really dispiriting theories as to why human females go through the menopause one of which was popular one was that you know we're basically propped up by modern medicine we should be bowing out with our ovaries in our middle age and then then there was other theories about how it was a male preference for young females that had caused this evolutionary change whatever anyway it's all very very dispiriting stuff you don't want to hear so Orcas are fascinating. So they go through the same thing, right? So can't be propped up by medicine. Fantastic guy at Exeter University, Darren Croft. He's worked out that it falls in line with the grandmother hypothesis, which is that the females are the leaders. They're the repositories for, for wisdom. By ceasing to reproduce halfway through your life, you don't compete with your daughters. And so, so therefore your daughters and your granddaughters, grandsons will all do, do much better. I went out because I just thought, God, amazing. I wonder whether the orcas get hot flushes and cranky moods. Rage you know, anger. <laughs> They, they, they couldn't. <laughs> uh, and as somebody who's who's suffering from all that right now mm-hmm. myself, I felt completely compelled to go out and find out. By the way, studying a effectively a six-ton swimming torpedo with teeth, you know, trying to get hormone samples <laughs> isn't the easiest thing to do. So I, I work with Dr. Giles in, in Seattle, who what she does, I mean, it's that's amazing. So how do you do that? How do you study the hormones? You can't take daily blood samples of, of, of these things. Oh. So this Dr. Giles, this sort of amazing woman who's trained up this rescue dog that she travels in a boat with, follows the orcas and the dog can sniff orca poo in the water. So I was like there with a big net because, yeah, like you need a big net, right? <laughs> and uh, trying to catch this stuff. And then that, and that's how they do their hormone samples. It's just amazing. It's just a, such a fantastic experience. And what's amazing about it, classic example of bias, right? So mm. with orcas, it was thought that the big males were, were the dominant were the leaders and it was that you know the smaller females were his harem mm-hmm. but actually it turns out it's the postmenopausal grannies that are leading the show so you know what's not to love about that plus that the postmenopausal grannies are all having sex with the young males 
males that they often Ooh. have the young males oh have goodness. their first sexual experiences with the older grannies so <gasps> a lot to love there basically that is very good indeed now you you actually sort of wrote um a, a lovely passage in the book where you say that you felt a sense of communion with a killer whale called leah who was having a menopause and how so you mentioned it how is it going for you how is this phase of life going for you for you with the physical hormonal changes i've had like a double whammy basically because mm. i have breast cancer so i'm just about to get hopefully just about to get my eight years all clear i've just had, just yesterday had my mammogram so fingers mm-hmm. crossed right so i was put on tamoxifen which was like estrogen cold turkey you just it, it blocks all of your receptors i did go completely turn into a basket you case just took them estrogen completely out of your body when you say you go mad what happens oh i i became a weeping basket case i just mm. i couldn't stop crying i mean i was just like i was actually just com- for, for 24 hours i was completely inconsolable i mean i just my entire life had ended it was just extraordinary mm-hmm. following breast cancer it's really interesting actually you know i was very lucky i've got a great prognosis i you know there's many different types of breast cancer i actually think cancer needs a rebranding because mm-hmm. you know even under the the umbrella of breast cancer there's it's like 17 different yeah. diseases, basically, mm-hmm. and with really varying severity. We know that tamoxifen takes out the oestrogen. You, have you been on it for like seven years? Have you been on it all this time? Are you, how are you able to, to deal with these hormonal changes? I went cold turkey and it was a nightmare. And mm-hmm. then what happened was I had a bit of a run of bad luck. I, I had breast cancer. And then my father died, who I was very close mm. to. So it's just like I got de- I got depressed, basically. And so it's hard for me to disentangle from all mm, of that, yes. whether the lack of estrogen depletes your serotonin levels or whether it was, you know, my father dying in a particularly mm. unpleasant way. He had d- dementia with Lewy bodies, which, you know, is like a, it's this psychotic mm. dementia, which is mm. just an appalling thing to see anybody, particularly the person that you love the most, going through. The thing is, you know, when you go through something like breast cancer, my friends were incredible. They rallied around me in a way I've never felt so supported and loved in my life and and it was actually incredibly positive experience that process but once you've gone through all the treatment understandably everybody's like emergency's over and Mm. then you've got to get on with your life you're sort of sort of suffering then a moment looks like what the hell just happened to me and apparently it's really common for women to get depression six months afterwards. Mm-hmm. Even though you're now better, you're sort of processing what's happened to you and your support network has sort of passed away and everybody thinks you're okay now. But, you know, I, I felt very vulnerable and, and very sad during that time. I think the hormones didn't help. Then I, I was on tamoxifen for five years and then after five years you stopped. So I, I, I then I came off it. And then, so I've been, I've been with oestrogen for a couple of years. Mm-hmm. And then my ovaries, I don't know what they think they're doing, but they're still chucking out eggs, 52. I mean, good on them. Did you make lifestyle changes then to deal with the symptoms you were dealing with? I mean, you said you were, you said you kind of stopped drinking and your partying stopped basically as well. You had to get healthy, didn't you? Yeah, I mean, that's why I think that having a sort of a serious slap on the wrist halfway through your life that makes you look at your life and, and appreciate actually what's important in life and it is no bad thing. And I can say that because I had an easy ride with it. You know, this is not mm. what everybody's going to say about mm-hmm. their experience with cancer, but I, I found it a very positive thing actually, because it, it forced a lifestyle change. You know, I'm another one of, you know, the army of cold water swimmers and uh, which I've been doing for like three or four years now and, and absolutely love. And, you know, I love running. I love yoga. I like healthy food. I mean, things that I would n- never have thought about myself, mm-hmm. the, the things that I think of treats and what I enjoy in life now back to menopause because I think I don't know whether you've noticed this there's quite a lot of argy-bargy going on in the media at the moment about menopause you know we've been on a mission for the last couple of years with this podcast part of what we're doing is to raise awareness and uh, along with our Facebook group and 
you know, women are finally able to kind of get the help that they need. But there's also sort of view of like, oh, just it's a natural process, just get on with it. But actually, you describe it in evolutionary terms as we're outliving our ovaries. Can you explain that? And why aren't we catching up? Why, why are our ovaries not catching up with us? Well, it, what I mean by outliving your ovaries is what menopause means is it means that your sort of, you know, your reproductive cells die before your the rest of your body cells. Do you mm-hmm. know what I mean? That, that, so that's what I mean by that. And that's yes. what's unusual in the animal kingdom. So even social species like elephants, for example, they, they carry on reproducing all the way until death. I mean, it's incredible to think that like, particularly because they have a pregnancy that lasts 22 months, you know, Mm -hmm. a a 60 year old elephant female will still be reproducing. You know, I'm all in favor of HRT and and women doing whatever they need in order to Mm -hmm. get through it because it's really hard. But it's all about women talking about what they're going through, isn't it? And, you know, we, we feel a bit invisible and we've been slightly muted around this conversation, I feel. In the book, it's quite explosive. I mean, we joke about, you know, how science has been had this male bias, conscious and unconscious. But I'm assuming that now you're talking about it in various places. And really, you are laying at the door of a lot of male scientists, not doing it the research properly, ignoring the female of the species. What's been the response to what you're talking about? Because there's always a backlash around these kind of things as, as we are finding ourselves from now we're talking about the menopause and perimenopause. Yeah, it's, it's interesting, actually, because I, I was really nervous about backlash, actually. So, I mean, when I was writing it and I realised quite how revolutionary these yes. things were that I was saying, I was really nervous about, first of all, have I got, have I got it wrong? You know, and like are the scientists that I'm uncovering that are saying these things, are they somehow sort of loony fringe yes. types? Do you know what I mean? So I really did a lot of rigorous checking of their science and of, of their credentials. They're right. So I was very rigorous in trying to work out if, if it was right or not and check all the facts triple times. And and so far, there hasn't really been a backlash, actually. Um, maybe because they can't say anything because what I'm saying is true. You know. <laughs> but... Um, <laughs> So, but certainly some people are more receptive to it than others. I mean, I think there's a lot, there's a lot of the scientific community that's been like really embraced it and gone, yay, somebody said it out loud. And there's been a huge groundswell of support for me. And there, there have been other areas where it's been sort of quieter and more circumspect. You know, there's one very famous male evolutionary biologist who's sort of responsible for quite a lot of these myths. And when I interviewed him, he just went, no, my spice, trust me, you know, what can I say? I'm a man, I produce a lot of sperm and, you know, you only produce a few eggs and just wouldn't hear it, just oh. wouldn't hear it, mm-hmm. you know. Mm-hmm. But, you know, these are people who've built their careers around saying one thing. Mm-hmm. Very hard to turn around and say, oh, actually we were wrong. But you met some amazing female scientists didn't you who've been kind of quietly in the background putting all this out there as well tell us about some of those women yeah I have to say the great joy of writing this book was meeting some just phenomenal female scientists I mean and and how welcoming they were and were so generous with their time and their knowledge you know and and without them there would be no book they're mostly unrecognized right they're not household names and unlike say Richard Dawkins is Mm -hmm. you know and yet their ideas are now sort of embedded in modern evolutionary thinking. They should be more famous. So if anything, I would love from my book that, that, that they become famous. In particular, 
there's one sort of like core group who really kind of kicked off the movement and that's Sarah Blafferhurdy, Patricia Goati, Mary Jane West, Eva Hard and Jean Altman. And they're now all in their late 70s, early 80s. Mm. And and they're extraordinary. I mean, these women, they were the ones who said, hang on a second, you know, that lion's having tons of sex or, or hang mm. on a second, those primates look like they're not natural mothers or, you know, hang on a second, you know, promiscuity isn't unusual for, for mm. females. So these four women... They meet every year at Sarah Blafferhurdy's house. They call themselves the Broads, which I love so much. (laughs) They're like these titanic brain, data-driven, fierce, brave, fantastic women. They still call themselves the Broads. Um, And they they basically meet once a year to support each other and and to chew the evolutionary fat. I just completely fell in love with them. We need need you to make a documentary about them because... That would be brilliant. Bring them to the world. You could do that because you've done so much amazing TV work as well. And I mean, your work has just taken you everywhere all over the globe. I mean, incredible career. But is there such a thing as a typical day or a week for you? Because you you must be zooming about all over the place all the time. No, and that's why I love doing what I do, Mm because there is no such thing as a typical week. So I feel unbelievably lucky, particularly because it could have been over. I get paid to do something that I would pay to do. I've always loved telling stories. You know, I, I get to sort of investigate the stories and travel to places and meet people and uh, and have experiences. And then I get to tell those stories. I do work really hard, though. Mm. <laughs> but I do something that I love, so I can. And tell us about sloths, because that's where it all started, your storytelling, isn't it? The sloth. <laughs> Why the fascination? I love sloths, you know. Like I started the Sloth Appreciation Society yes. about, um, about 12 years ago when I first went to a sloth sanctuary in Costa Rica and first saw them. At that stage, nobody knew what a sloth was. They hadn't achieved global domination, which I think in some, some way I am responsible for. I'm like the Simon Cowell of sloths. I've made them famous. <laughs> I'm really interested in telling stories that are counterintuitive, that, that make you look at the world in a different way. And so Bitch, obviously, is one of those stories. And, and sloths are too, because... You know, people think of them as lazy and all the time people say, oh, they're sort of like they're losers. They're like evolutionary redundant. Like how on earth have they persisted? Because they're so slow. Well, that's because we as humans, we have this, we culturally, we value speed, you know, but actually Mm. being slow turns out to be an incredibly good way of of surviving you know because you're you're energy efficient and i think sloths should be recognized as the sort of you know energy saving icons of the of the 21st century (laughs) we should be looking to them for tips for how we should slow down and and taking a you know a slowly digested leaf out of their book in order to sort of curb our own addiction to speed and convenience which is frankly killing the planet and if you were an animal what would you be then well, I think before writing this book, I would have said a sloth just because, mm-hmm. you know, yeah. like, they're just so lovely and mellow. But now, now I've written the book, I think it's got to be a menopausal orca, hasn't it? I mean, <laughs> <laughs> brilliant. Um, can we just talk about the illustration? There's one illustration in the book, and it is of a female macaque monkey's orgasm face. <laughs> Oh, yes. <laughs> Which I um, was quite taken with. Explain why you put that in the book and maybe explain what it looks like for our listeners. It did amuse me that there's, there is just the one picture in the book and it is, it's, <laughs> taken from, it's taken from a scientific paper of this f- female scientist who who'd studied orgasm in, in macaques generally, female mm-hmm. and male, right? This is another one of those myths. Actually, it was Desmond Morris, amongst mm-hmm. many others, very famous Desmond Morris. Yes. There's a whole load of male scientists, mm-hmm. he, he included, who've denied female animals 
orgasm, right? Or said that it's a dysfunction. The only reason why females have orgasms is because, because we have a shared developmental blueprint with males. And so we basically didn't even evolve our own orgasms. We've got, oh. we've got to thank males for those as well. <laughs> so human females were, were unique in their capacity to orgasm, right? It, it would seem that that isn't true. This very brave and tenacious scientist who, who, who included that photo, the, the, the illustration of the round mouth, the characteristic yes. round mouth frown, <laughs> which, which is the O face of the female or, or male macaque. Actually, they both mm-hmm. pull, the same, pull the same expression, apparently. She sort of did this extraordinary ex- experiment, which involved stimulating female ah, macaques okay. for an allotted <laughs> period of time. Oh, I don't want to be a scientist now. <laughs> Change my mind. <laughs> Until they produce their round mouth, frown O face. And uh, and so she's the one, and, and you know, they had the sort of vaginal contractions and all the other shebang that, that's associated with orgasm. So she felt she felt pretty confident to say that they did. I just love that monkey's expression yeah, though. So I just had to good. include it. And I just sort of think, good on science. Talk about the sort of the determination of, of, of a scientist to prove a bunch of male scientists wrong that you're actually going to self-stimulate. <laughs> very good now we we do need some of your expertise for personal reasons because our resident podcast cat Margot, who is my she's my pussy cat and lorraine isn't very fond of her are you i don't like cats <laughs> you think she's evil or you think she's kind of out to kill me because she does kind of try she's and trip me up on the stairs and do all sorts of things you know she's always in carrier bags and boxes and she follows me around meowing and then if i go to stroke her she scratches me or bites me i mean it's yeah, what what's is going, going on, on Lucy? What's wrong with that cat? <laughs> Lorraine, I'm I'm with you. I'm, I'm I'm not a cat person, I'm a dog person. So I don't know. I just think they've been they've been bred on another planet, haven't they? They're just cats. They're not from it's they're not not I, Earth, so they? they're just waiting for the mothership to come back. Do they use cats to sniff out bombs? No, they don't. Do they use cats as comfort animals in hospitals? No, they don't. Nothing. No words Margo. of wisdom for Margot no. then. Oh dear, oh dear. <laughs> Brilliant. Oh well, listen, thank you so much. Lucy for coming on the show it's so fascinating and so interesting and thank you for sharing all of your your work in your book bitch it's just amazing I'm going to recommend that every school in the world that has a female student has a copy of this book because I think we need to start early don't we getting the right science out there for the young women of tomorrow so thank you very much for writing it oh thank you so much I think you know that this has been an absolute delight making on your podcast so thank you so much i've really enjoyed talking to you one size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes nice dress uh it's a it's a t-shirt until you tried it on same goes for your health care that's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number smart beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number limited edition smart bed for a limited time. 
For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Every week. Here we are. We are. The time has arrived for our midlife milestones and magic moments in which one of our listeners calls in to share their short story of a midlife epiphany. And this is a little bit of inspiration for you all. So we hope if you need a nudge to make a change or simply want to hear how other midlife women are making the most of their wonderful second acts, that this little snippet will help you. And today we have Dr. Emma on the line. Hello postcards for midlife. My name is Emma. I am 48 years old and I live in Norwich. My midlife milestone occurred during a period of time off work. I'd actually resigned because I was experiencing some perimenopause symptoms and it had knocked my confidence. During this time off, I wasn't too sure what I was going to do and where my life was going to take me. But I did want to try to do some things which were slightly different. So an opportunity came up in a magazine. They were advertising an opportunity to apply to be a real woman model. And rather randomly, I put in a very unedited picture of myself and didn't think anything more about it. But then to my surprise, I was shortlisted to go to the auditions in London. And then I was chosen to do some beauty shoots with the magazine which was so much fun. I was terrified as well, and I felt that imposter syndrome, but it was such good fun. It was so out of my comfort zone, so different to what I've been doing for the whole of my life as a doctor. But it really reset my mind. It improved my confidence, and it made me look forwards in my life in a slightly different way. It made me realise I didn't have to go forwards with the rest of my life the way I always had. And by then, I'd been lucky enough to get some help with my perimenopause. And with this confidence boost in my stride, I then felt able to return back to work as a doctor. And I think it was only that time off and that stretching myself, but just made a world of difference at just the right time. Welcome to How to Win at Midlife, the part of the show where we bring you something practical and useful that may change your thinking or even your life, perhaps. So um, today, though, I'm super excited to bring you something that I absolutely thought would not work, but really did work. Brace yourself, Trish, because ta-da, I'm about to admit I was wrong about something which I never normally do, do I? (laughs) certainly don't so um yes i i know what it is but i think you should you need to share with everybody because you've been very giddy yes. and excited i have been this, since this particular thing happened to you so tell everybody i don't say it lightly because i'm not really taken in by those woo woo statements where somebody promises something big and delivers something mm. small but if i would say to you that i could prescribe you your happy colors and change the way you felt every time you got dressed so that you were the jolliest version of yourself you wouldn't believe me would you trish but that is what happened to me mm-hmm. i called the color counselor jules standish about her new book a colorful dose of optimism and i thought well she's going to say wear bright red blah 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 take joy in getting dressed <laughs> all of that and actually i was completely wrong and she came oh. up with a really scientific and 
for me, extremely accurate way of making me wear colours that really did suit me and actually brought out my own joy in getting yes. dressed. Well, I kind of know why you're sceptical, because I think having your colours done feels like quite an 80s thing to yes. do, doesn't it? Like feng shui that everybody was, <laughs> was doing. And you kind of get told which season you are and then you buy clothes that fit that, that season's tones. But um, But you found there's a lot more to it than that, didn't you? Well, yes, I was on the phone, well, on the Zoom, as it were, quite a long time um, Mm. with Jules. Um, She's the head of colour at London College of Style, and she's written other books, How Not to Wear Black, and you'll have seen her on telly. Mm -hmm. She also works with quite a lot of midlife businesswomen who want to revamp their wardrobe as they get older, because we all want to sort of change. And I guess I'm going through that at the moment. I want to shift a load of stuff out from my 20 Mm -hmm. years in fashion and start again, but I don't want to waste money, and I don't want to buy things that don't suit me. So basically, she works out what your season is so you can be one of the four seasons and then what she does is work out how those colors will make you feel once you've worked out so it's not just whether they suit your face it's how they make you feel now she sort of combines genetics so that'll be skin color and and she's done this for women with all skin colors black and brown included and she combines that with your personality Mm -hmm. and then a little bit of you sitting in working out actually what works and I'm just going to spoiler alert I can (laughs) never wear black again you've seen my wardrobe haven't you it's all black yes, isn't it? yeah. it's a lot of black a yeah so she, black. she started by asking me the warm or cool questions it's all on page 24 in her book so you can ask yourself you can do your own little diy diagnosis you can ask yourself do you tan and also the other crucial question is do you flush does your skin mm. flush which obviously mine does a lot mm. i have a permanently high color at any given moment of the mm-hmm. day um and You then sit down, so I flush, so then you sit down in front of a mirror and you've got to be in front of natural light um, with nothing else on and your hair scraped back and then you do what they call, what she calls colour draping, where you put colours that she's recommended from what you are, the the season you are in, near to your face. And you can, and I did this, and you can tell instantly what suits you. It sounds really simple and obvious, Mm -hmm. haven't done it before. So your skin immediately loses um, all the the bitty bits of your complexion and looks a lot smoother when you put a colour that suits you. And the whites of your eyes really stand out. It's really instant. Honestly, I put black against my face and it aged me by about 10 years. So you do a bit of colour draping. But she also asked me a lot about my personality and she made a sort of scientific link, which I hadn't really thought of. She said, do you flush? Yes, I do flush. I go red quite a lot. And she would say, that's because your hemoglobin in your system runs fast which would indicate a kind of fizzy giddy oh see where I'm going Trish personality type and you just put the whole lot together and then Mm. you get a sense of what you are now it's all in the book there is an app that goes with the book as well which you have to pay for so once you've worked out where you are in the season and it's just the season and the tones of the season Mm -hmm. so um every season can wear red for example but the tones of red will vary between that apparently everybody wants to be a winter because they can oh. wear black winter oh i see right um okay. or an yeah. autumn because they can wear those slightly more darker mm-hmm. they can wear browns and the bit but they're not so what do you think mm-hmm. you told me i was go on. well i'm going to go on a couple of things that you said you can never wear black again which rules out winter yes you also said something that ruled out autumn so I'm going to say spring or summer and I'm going to I don't know what the difference between the two is so I'm going to say summer no spring oh, <laughs> you're spring <laughs> okay I am 
um, spring because of the, the tone of my skin, the colour oh, of my skin and how it reacts. Yes. So she says, as a spring, guess which colour I can wear, which you probably uh, can't wear. Yellow. Lime green. Oh, lime green. Wow. And let me tell You've you. You've got a lime green shirt. I've got one. Lime green. I look it's amazing in it. You do. Amazing in it. So yeah. I'm going to be out there buying a lot more lime green. Yes. My best colour would be, the, the tones would be blue, but very yes. the bright blues, not the navy blues. Um, okay. You like a pale blue, like a nice... Yeah, no, I've got to nice go brighter this morning. Got yeah, go brighter. brighter. Okay, yeah, brighter blue. That's my okay. wow colour, as she calls mm-hmm. it. Um, and get, I can also wear, and quite a bright version, mm-hmm. orange. Oh, really? Which I literally never thought oh, of. There's a lot of orange in the no. shops at the moment. Yes. I've got my eye on a Marks and Spencer's right. orange trouser suit. I can wear some of the salmons as well, Sun some pinks. of the more corally yes. pinks. And I can wear pink, a kind of bright pink, but I've got to stay away from the magenta end. And I, I like pink and I bought a lot of pink. Yes, and I have brought the magenta and I've often thought it makes me look a little bit, mm-hmm. it's a little harsh against my skin. Mm-hmm. So that's been incredibly helpful. But she also talks about how you put these things together. So if I'm going to wear a bright blue, things that go with bright blue, mm-hmm. you know, they might not, you might not wear them on their own, are camel and creams. So avoid whites, oh, okay. go for yes. creams as well. Mm-hmm. It was just really enjoyable and it actually made so much sense because then I then went to my wardrobe and put these things I did what my fashion director told me to do once I'll put things in outfits rather than in colors yes and then with with my signature colors that I know suit me there and then you can oh. really narrow down what so you're going to you wear do, do have some of these colors already in your I wardrobe. have one or two I don't but have not enough yeah. enough but I have an overwhelming yeah. amount of black which yeah um, which I'm needs to stop go wearing. just needs to go needs to be sold secondhand what happened when you talked to well I had a qu- I had I think I had a quick I just had a, a straightforward consultation with her and it was um it was it was really I found it really interesting and like you really felt that I just don't do color very well I can do pattern a bit um but even this week when I went to my lovely talk that I did at Women of the Future I just wore black and white and I thought you know something's got to change here it's kind of you know that was the old me it felt like the old me and I I do need a new me like you so do you want to guess with all of your knowledge now of colour and all of your knowledge of me what what am I? I thought autumn. Well you're half right and half wrong I'm spring with a strong autumn influence. Right. Half and half, apparently. Does that put some of those darker colours in your wheel? It, of more colour, muted, it? yeah, sort of more the muted kind of rusty colours, that kind of thing. And yeah, then I the sort of softer colour. of the spring colour. My wow colour, you're going to be surprised at this, and I'm not convinced, but I like the idea of it. Red. Sunshine yellow. Oh. And do you know what was really quite spooky? was weirdly, I'd been doing a little bit of browsing on the internet, a bit of shopping. I'd seen this jacket on Me and M. You know that lovely fashion label. Me and M. And there is the most bright, 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 bright yellow little, very me kind of little fitted little Mm. jacket with a little kind of puff shoulder. And I was like, oh my God, that's amazing. Could I ever wear that? And then the next day had this consultation with Jules and she said you could wear sunshine yellow. So I'm like, oh. 
There well, we the go. point is also that when you put these colours on, mm. you immediately perk up. I mean, and you have to take into account people's personalities because I probably am someone that can walk into a room wearing a bright orange suit and not be worried that everyone's staring at yes. me. Whereas yes. that might be something that might make you, for example, a little bit more yeah. nervous if you yes. wear something that attention seeking. Yes. So if orange is a great colour for you, but your personality doesn't go with that, then then she was saying then you can wear accents of it. You can wear it yes. in scarves or shoot, you know, it's and it's mm-hmm. just it sounds really obvious but actually knowing it having a little color chart um and being able to refer to it just makes life easier doesn't it and when you're in midlife and a bit confused anything that's not overwhelming is really helpful and I love the idea of just embracing some color and I've no I don't think I ever wear block color if I wear color it's always in a pattern so I really I'm going to be bold and I'm going to go out and buy some block color now so I think that's very exciting um coordinate because I don't want oh, them going bright yellow imagine we're clashing look ridiculous yeah, exactly anyway in orange, I'm in my yellow <laughs> Jules's think... book is out on May the 27th you can download an app called colour prescription there is a fee for that and that gives you your colour chart once you've worked out which season you are which tones you are um, her website is colourconsultancy.co.uk and if you pop over to our Facebook page page you can win one of five signed copies of her book and then you can send us pictures after you've done Mm. your color consultation and let us know what has worked for you and what you've changed oh so our little bit of a trip back to the 80s was quite good we'll have to do feng shui next won't we no it's nostalgia noodle time in which one of us asks a lot of questions and the other one has to guess the year and this week I'm asking the questions it's me and uh, yes. Lorraine you're going to be answering but I feel that I have to own up to something before you done um, you know your catastrophe in the very first week of this when well, you got I, things wrong because I and, couldn't add up well kind of you couldn't get up and and you are a share fan and you didn't get the share question right no I didn't know it, it's my fault Shall I tell you why? Somebody, Samantha, on the Facebook group pointed it out because I said the wrong film. I said Mermaids, and it was Moonstruck that she won the Oscar for. Well, yes. So do you think you would have got the year right if you'd known that? Yeah, because Moonstruck was the yes. Yeah, okay. Right, what year was it then? Oh. (laughs) Right, enough of that. On with this week's little challenge for you. Okay, so in this particular year, these things happened. Fleetwood Mac's Rumours album came out. Yes, 70s then we're talking about, aren't we? Late 70s. Okay. Concord started its London to New York route. Oh. The Morecambe and Wise Christmas show had 28 million viewers. What? Um, Star Wars appeared in our cinemas. And Yves Saint Laurent opium perfume wafted into the world. 1979. Are you sure about that? 82? (laughs) Yeah. Okay, I'm going to give you two more because I really want you to get this. But one's going to involve a bit of maths. I'm going to say this one first. It was the year Elvis and Mark Boland died. Oh, I don't, won't know about that. I don't know about dying. Don't and, know, you know about I dying. I can't listen to any, okay. any talk of dying. All right, this, this is the clue then. If you don't get this, I mean, there's no point. It was the Queen's <laughs> Silver Jubilee. Oh, that's 25 years ago. No, what is it now? 60 years of the Queen, isn't it? You've done it again. You've made it. <laughs> But that is what guess the year ends up being, doesn't it? Just a bit of mental maths. Go on, have a stab. You were quite near there with the 1979. I think 81 then. No, it was 1977. Really? You see, I remember Star Wars, but I would only have been Mm -hmm. nine. And the Queen's Jubilee, it's Platinum Jubilee this year, which is 70 years. 70 years, not 60. 
Oh, I'm yeah, really so in denial about the Queen. Yes. 1977 is this year's year. Is, was that the hottest summer ever? Was yeah, it 77? 76, 76, 76, right. Yes, okay. yes. Okay, so we went to the 70s. We've done 80s and 90s. I thought I'd take us back to the 70s, but maybe I won't do that again. <laughs> no, ne- next week I'm going to base guess the year on Fermat's theorem or something so that okay. it becomes such a maths right okay yes thing. i'll have to get the trigonometry book out you'll have to get your calculator out yes well that brings us to the end of this week's postcards from midlife new episodes are available to listen to every sunday on your podcast provider and we would really appreciate it if you can make sure to download your episodes so they count on our listener numbers and if you could rate and review us too that would be fantastic oh yes a little review would be really helpful for us please and thank you and do tell all your friends about us we want as many women as possible to join in our midlife conversation which is what our private facebook group is all about so if you're not a member hop on over and join in the chat and you can use it to post any feedback, like telling me when I've got things wrong in the uh, Guess the Year Nostalgia Noodle. And you can ask for suggestions about the things you'd like to hear talk about and celebrities and experts you'd love to hear interviewed. And you can, of course, email us at hello at postcardsfrommidlife.com because we love hearing your stories, especially your midlife milestones. Goodbye. Bye. 